Heavenly Father, we do thank you and we praise you for your word and we thank you for the book of Leviticus. I know it's a book that so many people just kind of overlook and many people just take it for granted and don't spend time reading it. And Lord, I thank you just for the richness of this book and just the depth of it. And I pray, Father God, that even before we leave here tonight, that everyone here would be excited about what we're going to see in upcoming weeks as we look through this uh, third book of the Bible. Lord, I pray, Father God, that our hearts would be receptive to hear from you. I pray that you would be our teacher. We love you. We praise you. We worship you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, How many of you have ever done a verse-by-verse study through the book of Leviticus? Raise your hand. One person. Okay. There it is. (laughs) And my dad doesn't count, someone said. (laughs) But you know what? I'll be honest with you. I've been in... Um, teaching the Bible probably, I don't know, 12, 14, 15, whatever it's been. I've never taught through Leviticus before. It's going to be my first time too. So I'm excited. I've, I've read through it, obviously. I've spent time in it. I've heard studies from it, but I've never gone verse by verse through it. And I'll tell you what, this week as I've been studying, it's awesome. But then again, every book of the Bible is. Now, one of the things about Leviticus, it's one of the, I'm going to give, I'm going to take about five or ten minutes here, and I'm going to give you an overview on the book, and then we're going to look, Lord willing, at chapter one tonight, Okay. So it's one of the most important books in the Old Testament. And the reason is that without an understanding of the principles that we see in it, it, which are atonement and holiness, much of the New Testament has no foundation. Now, sadly, most people don't study this book. If you go to a a church that's that's doing the hip-hop through the Bible, they're not going to ever land in Leviticus. It's just not going to happen, right? You're not going to find seven keys to joy in the book of Leviticus. You're not going to find it there. You're not going to find people teaching topical overviews going through Leviticus. But I want to tell you something. If it's in the Bible, it's in there for a reason. Amen? And you're going to find that it is a great and a thick and a very rich book. It's the third book of the Bible, as we know, and it's the third book of what is called the Pentateuch. Penta meaning five. The Pentateuch were the five books of the law of Moses. It was written by Moses. Um, We know that because for many reasons, but one of which is that Jesus said it was. Jesus quotes from Leviticus, and he says, Do as Moses commanded you. Back in the law, in, in the book of Moses, or in the book of excuse me of Leviticus, the setting is at Mount Sinai. This entire book was written in about a one month period of time. It's right after Exodus ends, and it goes right into Leviticus. And we're going to see that as we look at it tonight. Leviticus means pertaining to the Levites. The Jews also called the book the Law of the Priests. And so it's a book that was written to the Levites. Remember, the Levites were the priests, but it was written to every man, because you're going to see as we go through this that it has laws for the Levites themselves, but it has laws for every single person that was in Israel. Now, in Genesis, we saw creation, we saw the fall of man because of sin, and we saw condemnation. And that's how Genesis ended. Man was condemned, man was in his sin, man was, in, man was hurting. Okay? Then we moved on to Exodus, and what did we see in Exodus? We saw that man was in bondage, but we saw redemption. We saw that God redeemed them, delivered them from their bondage in Egypt. Egypt is a typology of what? Who remembers? The world. Okay? Bondage, a typology of sin. So they were delivered from bondage. And remember, what was the, what was the thing that was done? What was the plague that came upon Egypt that brought deliverance? Who remembers? What, what, which plague was it? It was Passover. If you remember, what happened was that they were all in bondage, and he said, let my people go. And then the Pharaoh, his heart was hardened over and over again. He said, no, no, no. And finally, when Passover came, it said that it, it, it was told to them that if they would take the blood of a firstborn lamb, and they would take a hyssop branch, and they would put the blood over both the sides of the, and the post of the door, a picture of the cross, that the angel of death would pass over, and they would be delivered from death. But death would come to those who were not under the cross. And so we saw that the, those who were under the cross, the angel of death passed over, but those that did not, what happened? Death visited their home. And we know that there was a great cry in Egypt. And finally, Pharaoh said, leave. And so they were finally delivered from bondage through what? The cross. Through a picture of the cross, they were delivered from the bondage of sin. And so we go through Exodus and we see them, you know, wander. We see them going across the Red Sea and we saw all the things that happened to them. We see them out in the wilderness and waiting for Moses up on the mountain and they build a golden calf. And we see the Lord come send Moses down with the Ten Commandments. And then we see that the book ends as they, they are commanded by God to build the tabernacle. We spent a lot of time on the tabernacle. But the way that Exodus ended was the glory of God had come upon the tabernacle. Remember that everything in the tabernacle points to who? 
Jesus. Every single furnishing, every single piece, every single part of it points to Jesus Christ. So now we come to Leviticus. We've gone from bondage and sin and condemnation to a place in Exodus where they've been redeemed. They've been, there's redemption, and now the glory of God is dwelling with them. But Leviticus goes beyond that. We go beyond the fact that we've been redeemed and we move on to a deeper relationship with God. What I wrote down here is that Leviticus is God's guidebook for His newly redeemed people, showing them how to worship, how to serve, and how to obey a holy God. It speaks first of access to God through sacrifice and then fellowship with God through obedience. It shows the awesome holiness of God. If any word were to describe Leviticus, the word would be holiness. Holiness is in the book of Leviticus over 80 times. It's also been said that Leviticus is a very bloody book. Or you're going to see why. Because it gives the sacrifices. We're going to see in the first uh, 17 chapters, it's really tied up in sacrifice. So Leviticus, the main theme would be holiness, and it would be about being separate and being consecrated. You know what? My application, I'm going to tell you at the end of the study what my application is to your life already. Don't get stuck in Exodus. Don't get stuck where you've been redeemed, you've been freed from the bondage of sin, but you have not gone deeper in your walk with God. Don't just get the good out of hell free card and just rest. But you know what? We need to draw closer to Him, be consecrated unto Him, have lives sacrificed for Him, serving Him. Remember, consecrated means set apart for use by God. And may our lives be consecrated, set apart for use by God. And so as we come to Leviticus, again, they've been delivered from bondage, but there's a need to to grow deeper in the relationship with God. There's a need for that holiness, a need for that consecration. And you know what? I'm going to tell you right now, as transparent as I can be, there's a need for a greater amount of that in my life. I don't know about you guys. I want to go deeper in my relationship with the Lord. I desire to have more holiness in my life, to walk in greater obedience to Him, to have my life consecrated unto the Lord. And that's really what Leviticus is all about. It's about being consecrated, about being set apart. It's about holy living. So it's an awesome book, and I'm excited to go through it. In the first 17 verses, it speaks of of, of sacrifice, our way to God, laws of acceptable approaches to God. It'll speak of atonement. It'll speak of the priestly uh, mediation, a picture of Christ, and the shedding of blood for remission of sin. First time we're really going to see that in a real clear way, the shedding of blood for remission of sin. We saw it in the, in the tabernacle. They were talking about it as they were setting it up. But now we're going to see some of these sacrifices being instituted. In the second half of the book, we're going to see sanctification. Sanctify means to be set apart. In a Christian, or in, a, in any one of our walks, here's how it works. You are first justified, then you are sanctified, and ultimately when we get to heaven, we will be glorified. Amen? So justification is just as if I've never sinned. It's when we are born again. And then after that, we are in what is called the, the sanctification process. We're being set apart unto the Lord. We're becoming more and more like Him. Leviticus is going to deal with that in a very great way. So we're going to see our walk with God. We're going to see in that sanctification process, holiness, obedience, and laws of continued fellowship with Him. And again, it's been called an extremely bloody book by some. It's an offensive book to some, but it ought not to be. And so it's about holiness. If I had to say there was any key lesson that we're going to learn, especially in the first half of this book, it's how awful sin is. When we start looking at these sacrifices, you start seeing what has to happen, and you put yourself back in the place of those people in that day, and you realize what they had to do to cover their sins or push their sin forward to the coming Messiah, you're going to realize how heinous sin really is. Sin is awful. Sin brings forth death. That's what it does. And we're going to see that sin is going to bring forth death in sacrifice. That only through the shedding of blood can there be the remission of sin. Now, understand that unless we had the book of Leviticus, we would not fully understand that. As we go through Leviticus, we're going to see many great things. We're going to see, again, the word blood is, is 88 times in the, in the uh, book of Leviticus. That we're washed by the blood, that we're redeemed through the blood, that we're purchased with the blood. Again, in the third book of the Bible, some 1,400 plus years before Jesus came to earth, We're seeing very clear pictures of Him. We'll see holiness through obedience, through consecration, and through sanctification. We'll see a clear link between atonement and holiness, between sacrifice and sanctification. And again, those of us redeemed by the blood are to live lives that are separated unto Him. We'll see also the graphically displayed, again, 
sacrifices, that sin causes, for the first time in the Bible, we'll really understand fully that the innocent, the blood of the innocent must be shed for the sinful. As we're going through and looking at these sacrifices, that's where you're going to see the blood of the innocent must be shed for the sinful. Well, who's that a picture of, the blood of the innocent? It's Jesus Christ. We're going to see that very clearly as we go through Leviticus. So we're going to see a picture of what sin does, that it brings about death. We'll see the awfulness of sin, the graciousness of God. And God says, I will forgive your sin and iniquity. And he says it in Leviticus over and over and over again. Praise God for that. So as we're going through Leviticus, we're going to see the awfulness of sin. We're going to see the blood. We're going to see the ultimate result of holiness. And we're also going to see the grace and forgiveness of God. It's a great book. I'm excited that we're going to be going through it. We're going to see the sac- pictures of the sacrifice of our Savior. Now guess what? There's pictures of Jesus Christ all over Leviticus. Surprise, surprise. You know what? He's in every book of the Bible. Amen? Many of you told me, you know, Pastor Dave, when we went through Exodus, I had no idea that Jesus was all over that book. Well, nobody raised their hand about going verse by verse through Leviticus, and so you probably have no idea. But guess what? You're going to see Jesus in every chapter. Because you know what? He's in every chapter. We're going to see Jesus, at, first of all, in the five offerings. The burnt offering that we'll look at tonight, the submission to the will of the Father, the meal offering that points to the fact that Christ was without sin. We'll see the peace offering that restores fellowship between sinful man and holy God, a picture of Jesus. We'll see the sin offering that Christ bore all of our guilt upon himself. We'll see the trespass offering that typifies Christ's payment for the damage of sin. We're going to see the high priest. Who's the great high priest? It's Jesus. We're going to see that Aaron is a type, in this case, a picture of what Jesus would later come to do. We're also going to see seven different feasts. Guess who each one of the feasts in Leviticus is going to point to? Jesus, every single time. The fact that there's seven feasts, number of completeness, not by chance. The first feast is Passover, because who's the Passover lamb? Who's the perfect lamb of God? It's Jesus Christ. When we get to the unleavened bread, it speaks of the holiness of Jesus, that he was without sin. We'll get to the feast of first fruits. Now it's interesting, when did Jesus die on the cross? What feast was happening at that time, on that very day? Who remembers? Passover. At Passover, Jesus was crucified. At the feast of first fruits, Jesus rose from the dead. And the feast of first fruits speaks of his resurrection. We'll see that in in a few weeks. And we'll also see the feast of Pentecost. Some people think that Pentecost came about when the, the Holy Spirit came upon the, the apostles in Acts chapter 2, but no, they were gathered together at the time of Pentecost, but it's a, a feast that had gone on for many years. We'll see the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles, again, all pointing to Jesus Christ. So as we go verse by verse through this, this often overlooked book, we're going to be reminded of the sacrificial work of our Savior, restoring sinful man back to holy God, and we'll be exhorted to live sanctified and consecrated lives in obedience and holiness to God. I'll tell you what, if you've never looked at Leviticus, you're going to be blessed. You probably didn't know all that stuff I just told you. It's all in there, and it's going to be great. So let's turn and look at Leviticus chapter 1. And we're going to begin in the first chapter looking at the first of five offerings, the burnt offering. Now it's a clear picture of our Savior's redemptive work for us upon the cross, as well as the complete surrender and total devotion to the Lord of the one bringing the sacrifice. I'm going to point some things out to you tonight, that the priest will do part of the sacrifice, but people will be responsible for bringing the sacrifice. And we'll talk about the significance of that. We'll also see that there's three types of burnt offering depending on what the person could afford. We'll see the herd offering, the flock offering, and the bird offering. And every single one of them, again, will point to our Savior. I love the Bible. It's a great book. So let's begin and look at the introduction in the first two verses. Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying... Now Exodus ended with the cloud of the Lord by day and the fire of the Lord by night above the tabernacle. If you remember that in the last verse, that's how it ended. They built the tabernacle and the Shekinah glory of God was dwelling there. And only when it moved did they move. They stayed under the cloud... They moved with the Lord. Great example for us. We don't need to run out and try to get God to come along with us. We need to move with Him and be following after Him. And so we come to the point now where God then speaks to Moses. And the Lord, Jehovah, called to Moses. God called out to Moses by name and He came to him. 
Before the blessing of ministry to, uh, to and for the Lord could come, we must first respond, respond to his call. What if God had called Moses and said, hey Moses, and wanted to speak to him. And Moses said, you know what, I'm hunting, I'm too busy. You don't have time right now, I'm going to go off on a, do this something else over here. You know what Lord, maybe later I'll come talk to you. But Moses responded when he was called by God. And before we can see all the other things that are going to happen in Leviticus, all the other blessings that are going to come into the life of Moses, he must first respond to the call of God. Each one of us, before we can see the great and awesome things that God wants to do, we must first respond to the call he's placed upon our lives. There are no doubt some of you in here tonight that you know that God's got a calling on your life, and you know that God wants to stretch you, but you're a little afraid, or you're weary or you don't know what to do. I want to encourage you, before we can see the mighty hand of God move in a great way, we must first respond. Moses, he spoke to Moses, but Moses had to respond. And Moses responds, and God is going to speak mightily through him. It says there that the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him. He spoke to him, revealing more truth to him. You know, it's interesting to me that no other book in the Bible has more of the words of God the Father than Leviticus. No other book. You look at any other book in the Bible. And it, now, first of all, it's all God's Word, and it's all inspired by God and the Holy, power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So it's all God's Word. But no other place do you see more words spoken directly out of the mouth of God the Father to minister to His people than you do in the book of Leviticus. Isn't it sad that we gloss over that book? And we run it by. If God took the time to speak it out of his mouth, you think we might want to listen to it. Amen? And so I want to encourage you again. The calling comes first, and then God speaks. He responds to the call, and then God speaks to him and reveals deeper truth to him that he wants Moses to then go and reveal to the people. Now, from the tabernacle, from the place of God's presence, from that holy of holies. So as we respond to God's call, we are drawn into a deeper place of intimacy and we receive a deeper knowledge of His heart and His will and His truth. When He called Him and He responded, then He was drawn near to the presence of Almighty God and God spoke to Him deeper truth that He might go back and reveal it to the people that He's ministering to. You've heard me say this many times. You cannot take people to a place you've never been yourself. Amen? If I don't spend time in God's presence, how am I going to bring His heart to you when I teach you the Bible? If, I do not, if this chapter doesn't become a part of me, how am I going to minister it to you? You know, I can get up here and read it and God can do great things with it, but the reality is the same is true with us in ministry. You know, if, if Ken and Mike do not worship at home, they're not going to lead us into worship. That's just reality. They might get up and play the guitar, but if they don't have the heart to worship, they're not going to lead us into worship. If you're not at home praying for the kids in the children ministry that you're going to be ministering to, or the things that God's called you to, then there's not going to have the impact. And the same is true here, that God called Moses, Moses responded, God reveals truth to him, and then he's going to go out and minister to the people. Verse 2. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd and of the flock. So he says, speak. I want you to take the word I'm giving to you, and I want you to relate it to my people. Now the application for all of us tonight is we go to Bible studies that we might grow in our relationship with the Lord, but we come here to be fed, but not just so we can again be the biggest, fattest, most healthy sheep in town. Amen? Right? I don't want you guys having to, you know, can't get out the door because you're so healthy. The Dead Sea is dead because it has an inlet and no outlet. The reason we study God's Word is that we might become more like Him and we might have an impact on the world around us. You know, if you, next Sunday when you get here, if I were to ask everybody, or even the people in this room right now, how many of you are here because someone invited you? I bet 95% of the hands would probably go up. Why are people inviting people? Because you're falling in love with the Lord. You're spending time in His Word. You're becoming contagious in your faith. And that's what happens here with Moses. He says, speak to my children, the things that I have shown you. And that's what God wants to do with each of us, to relate the Word He's given to us that we might pour it out on others. He says, brings an offering. Now this this is what is called a free will offering. The last two offerings we're going to see of these five are offerings that were commanded. But the first three are free will offerings, which means you only give it if you want to. You know what? We've talked about this many times here. I'm never going to ask you guys for money. It's not ever, it will never happen. Why? Because where God guides, God provides. You give out of a willing heart. You give out of your love for the Lord. 
You don't give it because some man's manipulating you into giving, right? We see too much of that in the church today, right? And so we see here that this offering is a free will offering. It's given out of a heart of love, not out of a heart of contrition, not out of a heart of having to do it, but it's free will. It's because I want to, because I love the Lord. I want to give this offering unto Him. Not done again out of compulsion, but from a willing heart. And he says, bring the offering of livestock, of herd, and of flock. Now, I want you to see this. The livestock means that these are domesticated animals. And that's important. Because that means that when they bring the offering, they're literally going out and getting one of their animals. One of the animals that around their house. One of the animals that maybe, probably has a name. It's an animal that they love and they've cared for and they've fed and they've watched it grow. And they're going to take that animal and sacrifice it. Now, there are those who didn't have any animals and would purchase their animals for this sacrifice, but most did not do that. And doesn't it make that sacrifice all the much more difficult when you have to sacrifice something that's near and dear to you? But it's like David said, I cannot sacrifice that which costs me nothing. It's not a sacrifice if it doesn't cost me something. And we see here that this is, these are domesticated animals. These are animals that are out on their property. They may have named these animals. They're a part of their family. They're going to take these animals in, and they're going to make sacrifice with them to the Lord. Going to have a huge impact on their hearts. No unclean animals. The unclean animals like horses and dogs and pigs and camels. Those were animals that were used in pagan sacrifice. No wild beast. Animals that would slay another. You know, no animal that would slay another could ever be a picture of Christ. And so they had to be a clean animal. And we're going to see specifically what those animals are. So let's begin in verse 3 by looking at the herd offering. It says there, if, if his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. The herd. This means it's a bull. Now, what do bulls do? What do bulls or oxen do? What do they carry? Our burdens. They carry our burdens. And it's not by chance that it's a bull of this herd offering because what did Jesus do for us? He carried our burdens. He says, My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come on to me, all you are heavy laden, all you labor heavy laden, and I will give you rest, right? My yoke is easy, my burden is light. And the sacrifice, the sacrificial system we see here with this bull is a picture of what Christ does for us. He takes the burden upon himself. They're sacrificing an animal that was carrying the burdens around their house. And they're sacrificing it in a picture of what Christ would come to do, carry the burdens of every single person in this room. Now it's interesting, it says of this bull that it must be a male, it must be without blemish. So it had to be a perfect male. Innocent, if you want to use that word for an animal. Picture of devotion and surrender, of one bringing the sacrifice, but also here we see this very clear picture of who? Who is the perfect, spotless, innocent sacrifice? It's Jesus. Amen? And when you look at this bull that was brought, it's a clear picture of Jesus Christ. And so this bull had to be brought, and it was, again, laying down his life voluntarily for the sins of you and I. Because look what it says there. He shall offer it of his own free will. You know, Jesus said, no one takes my life, but I lay it down freely. Nobody put Jesus on the cross. Do you guys know that that's true? Nobody put Jesus on the cross. I imagine, have you ever thought about the moment when his hands were nailed? Can you imagine the thieves next to him when they were crucified? Now, if someone was going to nail my hand to a piece of wood... With a, with a big, huge nail, I'm not going to be cooperating very well. How about you, right? I mean, you can imagine the thieves, they were probably fighting, and they probably had eight guys over there pounding on them and holding their hands down, and they're holding their wrist out, and they're slamming a nail through their hand. I guarantee you, it doesn't say it in the Bible, but it doesn't have to, because I know Jesus. He put his hand out there, and he let them nail his hand. Why? Because nobody took his life from him. He gave it up freely. Remember when they came to arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane? And they said, you know, are you Jesus? Are you Jesus? Right? What did he say? I am. What happened to all the people? All fell straight backward. Just by, by him speaking the word, they're all flat on their back. Now let me ask you a question. Who arrested who? If he can just say, I am, and they're all on their back, I'm thinking that he doesn't have to go with them if he doesn't want to. Amen? 
We see repeatedly in the book of John that they come to arrest him and it says that he went away from them because his time had not yet come. But as soon as his time had come, he freely laid down his life for us. And this is a picture of Christ as it says that it's a free will offering. It was given freely. Nobody forced it. It was given freely. A picture of our Savior. He shall offer it of his own free will. It says at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Now, it's interesting that when Jesus was in Gethsemane, he said, if it's possible, let this cup pass from thee. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus went freely to the cross, and these were brought freely, a picture of what Jesus was about to do. And they were brought by those who were bringing the offering. We're going to see that that, that the priest does something once they get there, but beforehand, they're going to freely bring their sacrifice. Verse 4. So they got this perfect, the best animal they've got, And the people that would bring a bull would be the people that were most affluent. By the way, God doesn't care about how much we give. It's not the portion, it's the proportion. Amen? The widow's might meant more to the Lord than the rich man coming in and shaking out coins into the, you know, to the chest and everybody's going, ooh, wow, what a giver, right? And the Lord saw that the widow gave two mites, less than a penny, but she gave all that she had. And to God, that's the heart. It's about, it's a heart issue, guys, not a checkbook issue. It's, Lord, everything I have is yours. Let me give it to you, right? By the way, who gave us everything we have? God did, amen? Isn't it all his stuff, amen? So we're called to just be good stewards of it. So even the stuff that we keep, we're to take care of. And so we see here that they're bringing the best that they have, and they're bringing it in, and they're going to make sacrifice, a picture again of what would happen 1,400 years later. It says there in verse 4, you shall put his then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. And what they would do when they brought the sacrifice in, they would put their hand on the head of the offering because they would say, this is a picture of me. This sacrifice represents me. I'm taking my sin and placing it upon this, you know, quote, innocent animal, this animal without blemish. The shedding of innocent blood for the guilty. And we see here, here, he's putting your hand on it as just for his own, signifying in his own heart that I know I'm guilty and my sin is being placed upon this animal. Now it's interesting, in a minute we're going we're gonna to see the goats and the sheep. But do you know what the Jews used to do even back then? The Jews would go, and not, not this far back, but later, they would go and they would take a goat and they would lay it, their hands upon it and they would confess all the sins of Israel on this goat. Then they would take the goat out, and they would send it out in the wilderness, supposedly to, you know, to carry their sins away. It's in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 10, where this starts. And what was that animal called? Scapegoat. That's where that came from. We we're confessing our sins upon you, and then we're sending you out in the wilderness to take our sins with you. And so we see here something very similar. They take it, and he puts his hand upon the bull, or later upon the sheep, or later upon the birds, and they're saying, my sin be upon you. You're going to take my place. And so that's what happened. They accepted it on his behalf, identifying the animal as a representation of himself. The atonement there, it says in verse 4, accepted on behalf to make atonement for him. In in Psalm 32, it says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. The word there for atonement means to cover. So the shedding of blood of animals cannot pay for our sin. We all know that, right? Amen? But it could cover our sin and push it toward that coming Messiah who would ultimately pay the price for us. And so the atonement, or at-one-ment, it, put, it made us at-one with God, made them at-one with God. It restored fellowship as they waited for the coming Messiah. And so it says He'll make that atonement for you. And so we see again this restoring of sinful man back to holy God. Verse 5. Now it says there, He... Now who's this He? This is the person bringing the sacrifice. Not the priest, person bringing the sacrifice. He shall kill the bull before the Lord. Now this might not sound like a big deal, but aren't you glad that we don't have to show up on the Lord's Supper and bring in animals in here and slit in their throats up here on the front of the church? I, I'm, not, I'm not down for that program. How about you, right? Aren't you glad we're not doing that on Sunday morning? But this is what's happening, and not only that, especially when we get to little lambs next, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but can you imagine having this little lamb in your house, probably giving it a name? How many of you have ever petted a lamb before? 
Aren't they sweet? Okay. I'm not a big animal guy, but I like it. And lambs are cool. And so you go and you pet them. Right? I've been to petting zoos with my kids, and they're just really kind of sweet and, you know, dumb like sheep. But, they, they, you know, you pet them, and they're, and they're nice little animals. But you know what? Can you imagine taking that little lamb and looking into its eyes, putting your hand on its head and saying, you know what? My sin's being placed upon you. Then holding that little lamb in your hand and looking into its big dopey eyes that they've got, right? And then taking a knife out of your pocket and slitting its throat. You know what? You might say, man, Leviticus, it is a bloody book, right? But you know what it shows us? It shows us how heavy-duty sin is. That sin has a heavy price. That sin cannot just go away. It's something heavy has to happen. There's an incredible price that must be paid because of our sin. And so they bring the bull in, and again, and this is an expensive uh, gift, an expensive offering. A bull was worth a lot of money. And they would bring a bull in, and they would sacrifice it to the Lord, slit its throat. And we're going to see that there's not going to be anything left when they're done with this bull. So they bring it in, they lay their hands on it, and he has to slit it. Again, the price of sin is always death. Always. The price of sin is always death. Remember what happened back in Genesis when they sinned, Adam and Eve? What happened? Remember they went and hid from the Lord, and what did, what did God say to them? Adam, where are you? You think God was wondering where they went? I don't think so. He was saying, where are you spiritually? Adam, where did you go? And it says there that the Lord provided skins for them. What did he do? He killed animals. First time animals had ever been killed. The shedding of blood for the covering of sin. Sin always results in death. And the same is true for every one of us in this room. Our sin will result in death. Either our own spiritual death and separation from God if we reject Him, or Jesus' price that was paid on the cross. Sin always results in death. So they bring this bull in, they lay their hand upon it, he says, You shall kill the bull before the Lord and the priest, Aaron's son. Shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So the priest collected all the blood in a basin, offered it to God as a sacrifice to indicate again that the life had been taken. But as you came near to the door of the tabernacle, can you imagine when the sacrifices came, what the door of the tabernacle must have looked like? If every time they made a sacrifice, how big is a bull? Huge. How much blood do you think there is in a bull? Can you imagine taking all the blood out of a bull and sprinkling the blood all over around the, by the door of the tabernacle? And can you imagine if you were doing that all day long with these free will offerings? What did the door of the tabernacle look like? It was a bloody mess, right? You showed up, there was blood everywhere. But remember who the door of the tabernacle is a picture of. Remember, we saw this back in Exodus. Who, who's the door of the tabernacle a picture of? Jesus Christ. And every time you wanted to enter into that most holy place, you had to go through a bloody mess to get there. And for us to enter into the presence of Almighty God, there must be the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. Amen? Now some of you, I know you're sitting out there not looking real happy right about now, but here's the good news, you guys. The price has been paid. Amen? The shedding of blood for remission of sins. But what it tells me is how much my God loves me. And look at verse 6. And he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. Oh man, wait a minute. I already slit the... This bull was at my house. This little lamb... This was at my house. This was, this was a part of my family. Slitting its throat is bad. But now I have to skin it? Cut all the skin off the animal? And then cut it into small pieces? Man... And the price of sin is heavy. Amen? The cost of sin is incredible. Now, what is this a picture of? I believe this is a picture of what happened to Jesus. What did they do to him before he went to the cross? What did they do to him? They whipped him. They scourged him. They basically skinned him alive. They ripped his back open. His organs were exposed. Most people died of scourging. They tied him around a post, arms and legs. He couldn't defend himself, and they whipped him. Forty lashes minus one. Most people didn't make it through ten lashes, and our Savior did. And they skinned him alive. Our Savior, our Lord, our God, our King. You know, now, this might seem, well, Pastor Dave, this is heavy, man. Well, maybe I'll come back when you start numbers, right? You know, I mean, this is pretty thick. But here's the good news. We need to know how much our Savior loves us. Amen? How do you determine the value of something, what, what somebody was willing to pay for it? 
What did our Savior go through to restore you back to relationship unto Himself? What did He go through to adopt you into His family as one of His sons or daughters? He suffered and died a brutal death. And we see it here, that sin. Gospel is a free gift. The good news, right? Salvation. It's a free gift, but it wasn't cheap. Amen? We say it's free. Oh, it's free. Well, it's free, but it wasn't cheap. It cost God everything. And we see here with these bulls that they then had to skin them and cut them into pieces. What a bloody mess this must have been. What a bloody book Leviticus is. But at the same time, it points us to the fact that our redemption's been paid for. It's all a picture of what would happen 1,400 plus years later to our Savior upon the cross. Verse 7. The sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order on the fire. So now the priests come in. They, the, the one who brought the sacrifice has slit its throat, he's put his hand upon it, he's skinned it, he's cut it into pieces, and the priests come along. And what do they do? They stoke the fire. Now fire in the Bible is a picture of what? What is it most often? Judgment. It purifies, but it also judges. And so fire is judgment. And so they're stoking up this place of judgment. And what do they lay upon the fire? The wood in perfect order. What do you think the wood would be a picture of that they place the sacrifice upon? What is it, you guys? The cross. They took the sacrifice, bloody and beaten, and cut up and placed it upon the wood. Isn't that what they did to Jesus? How can you read the Old Testament and not see Jesus? How is it even possible? Sadly, people have scales in their eyes and they don't see it. And you know what? The other thing is true that we don't spend time studying these books so we don't understand how clearly it points to Jesus Christ. And so they lay the wood in order, in specific order, in perfect order. Jesus voluntarily took upon Himself the judgment for sin. He laid down His life on the wood. And just like they put the sacrifice on the wood. Verse 8, Then the priest, Aaron's sons, shall lay the parts, the head and the fat, in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. They burned every single part of the sacrifice. Every single part bit of it completely and totally consumed by the fire now i believe that there's a twofold application one it's a picture of christ that that god the father gave us his all in his perfect son to pay the price for us but i also believe it's got an application for you and i in that god desires that we be consecrated completely to him amen that we give him not some but all not just our heart, but our head and everything else. Amen? Give Him everything that we have, everything that we are. Lord, it's all Yours. I give it all to You. Be consecrated. Take my life and set it apart for Your use, for Your kingdom, for Your glory. The burnt offering. Consume it all, Lord. Take it all. It all belongs to You. Verse 9. But He shall wash, again, the person bringing the sacrifice. He shall wash its entrails and legs with water. Now, this is a joyous event. You know, you're bringing an animal from your house, you're, you're, you're laying your hand upon it, you're slitting its throat. Bulls are big animals, by the way. You're slitting its throat, blood is everywhere, then you're skinning the bull, then you're cutting it into pieces, then you're laying it on, and then you're laying it on the altar, then you get to go back and clean out the entrails. I don't have to get too graphic, do I? But... So for it to be cleaned, it must, the entrails had to be washed out. The innermost parts of the bull had to be cleaned. And they're washed with water. The legs and the entrails. You know what's interesting to me? Pastor Dave's supposition, okay? I believe that those are the two dirtiest parts of the bull. What is the part that's walking in the mud? What's the part that's on the ground all the time, getting dirty all the time? His legs. And then inwardly, it's his entrail. And so those two things had to be clean. Why? Because before it could be sacrificed, it had to be cleansed. Before it could be burnt and offered up and consecrated unto the Lord, it had to be completely clean. But what did they clean it with? Water. What is water a picture of? What is it in the Bible? It's the Word of God. It can also be a picture of the Holy Spirit. Amen? 
You know, washing by the water of the Word of God. What cleans out our innermost parts? What is it that cleanses us from the defilement of this life? It's our relationship with the Lord, and then it's that time in the Word daily where we're cleansed by Him, we're refreshed by Him, we're restored by Him. Amen? And so we see here that this sacrifice had to be perfect, that it had to be cleaned before it could be sacrificed. And you know what? Before we can be consecrated unto the Lord, we need to be cleansed from the inside out. Amen? We need to say, Lord, take my life. Lord, there needs to be repentance. There needs to be a brokenness over our sin. There needs to be a cleansing that only can come through the Word of God, transforming us. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? Through God's Word. That's why we're spending so much time in God's Word, because it's what transforms us. Amen? And so we see here, take, take, take this part, and it says, and clean out the entrails and its legs with water, and the priest shall burn on the altar, burn all on the altar, as a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Now I love this, that once it's cleansed, once the defiled inward and outward parts have been, have been washed with water, once that innermost being and, and the legs could even signify the walk, once all that's been cleansed, once all that's been washed away and it's burnt unto the Lord, it says there that it is a sweet-smelling aroma to our God. You know what? I love barbecue. Amen? Good stuff, all right? Sorry, heavy sides. I love barbecue. It's good stuff. But here's the thing. When someone's barbecuing down the street, doesn't it smell good? You're like, hmm, I wonder what they're having. Do I know those people down there? Right? But here's the thing. that The Bible tells us that this is a sweet aroma in the presence of God. When this animal is, this perfect or sinless or innocent animal is being placed upon the altar, and when that, that sweet-smelling aroma comes into the presence of God, it's sweet to Him, not because of the burning meat, though that is a sweet smell. It's sweet to Him because He knows it's covering the sins of man. It's restoring sinful man back to holy God. It's a blessing. It's a sweet aroma in His presence. Man, it's a bloody mess, but to God, it's the answer. There must be shedding of blood. There must be death when there's been sin. And so, you and I must die to the person we used to be. Had to be completely clean to be made sacrifice, and we see the sacrifice was there. And He burnt it all on the altar, again, holding nothing back. Complete consecration unto the Lord. You want to be a sweet aroma in God's presence? You want to bless Him? Consecrate your life completely to Him. Don't say, Lord, I surrender some. Right? I surrender all. Amen? Consecrate your life unto the Lord and you will be a sweet aroma in His presence, a blessing to God. It blows me away that I can be a blessing to God. Do you ever, ever really think about that? Have you ever sat down and thought about the fact that I can be a blessing to the Creator of the universe? Whoa. That's awesome. And it's not because of me, it's because of Him in me. I just have to die to me. I just have to let my, my will, my passions, my desires die that all want to destroy me anyway and say, Lord, I give it all to you. All of it. It's yours. Sweet aroma in its presence. I see God doing that in the lives of many of you. But look at verse 10. We move on from the herds to the flocks. Now this goes from, from bulls to sheep and goats. Verse 10. Had a little less money. If his offering is of the flocks, of the sheep, or of the goats, as a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring a male without blemish. He shall kill it on the north side of the altar. So the same thing happens. Now, sheep, who's that a picture of? Who's the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? Who's that? Jesus. The goat, I just told you about the scapegoat. Goats are, are the ones that take the place of our sin, and the sin is placed upon them. Now it's interesting, we're almost done here, verse 11, it says, kill it on the north side of the altar. Do you know if you go to where the temple was, and you stand, and you move, you just walk straight north from there, you know where you're going to end up? Calvary. Golgotha. What's due north of the, of the spot of the temple, where the altar would have been? The place where Jesus Christ was crucified. Place it on the north side of the altar. Place the lamb on the north side of the altar. Place that perfect lamb of God on the north side. It's a picture of the cross. It's a picture, once again, of Jesus Christ. We see again, we talked about the scapegoat, and it's used repeatedly, goats are used repeatedly as a sin offering. Again, male, without blemish, perfect, innocent. Who's that a picture of? It's got to be, again, once again, Jesus Christ. 
So it says there in verse 11, Kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord, and the priest Aaron's son shall sprinkle its blood all around the altar. So once again, we've got a bloody mess. There must be the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. Verse 12, And he shall cut it in pieces with its head and its fat. The priest shall lay them in order on the wood that is on the that is on the fire upon the altar, but he shall wash the entrails and the legs with water. Then the priest shall bring it all and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. So the very exact same thing that was done with the bull would be done with a, with a goat or done with a sheep. The only reason that you would have that offering instead of the other is what you could afford. If you, if you are very wealthy, you would bring a bull. If you are less wealthy, you would bring a goat or a sheep. Lastly, in the last few verses here, if you were poor, verse 14, you would bring a bird offering. And again, the birds that we're going to see here is either a turtle dove or a pigeon, offering only for the poorest people in Israel. Now, before we move on to verse 14, I want to say this. When Jesus was born and Mary went to be cleansed and purified after the birth, what did they bring? to make their free will offering. Who remembers? What did they bring? Turtle doves. Doves, right? Tells us a couple things. First of all, we know that the dove, representation of the Holy Spirit later, right? The Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. But it also tells us that Joseph and Mary were very poor. So these people that tell us that Jesus Christ, you know what, if he were living today, he'd be driving a Rolls Royce. Uh, I don't think so. The Bible says he had no place to lay his head. Amen? And so his family was the poorest of poor. They had to give turtle doves when the Savior was born. Verse 15, 14. And if the burnt sacrifice is an offering of the Lord is of birds, then he shall bring it an offering of turtle doves or young pigeons. The priest shall bring it to the altar and wring off its head. Man. So you bring the bird in and you twist its head off. That's what it says. Leviticus. This is why no one gets to chapter 2, right? They read this one, they go, oh man, I'm thinking numbers is looking pretty good right about it. Let's just move on, right? But we need to see the reason for these sacrifices. Again, sin is awful. Sin requires a heavy price. But it's interesting to me, the word there for ring, right? They ring his head. What did they do to Jesus? What did they place on his head? Crown of thorns. Thorns came into existence when? with sin of mankind. There were no thorns till sin. Thorns and thistles came after the sin of Adam and Eve. So they took the representation of sin and, and placed it upon his head. Here we see them take this bird. They did this right in front of Jesus, right? When he was eight days old, they brought these birds in and they did the very thing that they would later do to him. And burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out of the side of the altar. Again, blood everywhere. His neck is wrung, the blood is drained, the blood is poured out of it. Picture again of what would happen to our Savior. Verse 16. He shall remove its crop with its feathers and cast it beside the altar on the east side in the place of ashes. Its crop with its feathers. What did they do to Jesus before they crucified him? What was one of the ways they tortured him? What did they do to him? What did they do? Who remembers? They plucked out something. They plucked out his beard. They took these birds, a picture of Christ, and they plucked out all its feathers. Again, a picture of later how they would pluck out his beard. You cannot see a sacrifice in the Old Testament and not see Jesus Christ. It's all pointing to him. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not Hare Krishna, right? None of those guys, right? A bunch of guys who are dead in their trespasses and sins who need Jesus. But every bit of it points to our Savior. How is this possible? Because God wrote the Bible. You know, I love when people say, oh, the Bible just, yeah, it's a bunch of stories. You know what? Let's take a look at the Bible and look at the fulfillment of all the prophecies, and Jesus fulfilled them all, and how is that possible? Because God wrote it. Amen? The Bible's awesome. That's why it's so important that we study all of it, including the Old Testament. We're almost done. Last verse. Then he shall split it at its wings, but shall not divide it completely. Now, this is interesting. They take the bird, and they split it at its wings, and they spread its wings out. You know Jesus would say, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, I would gather you under my wings as a mother hen gathers her chicks. So they would take the bird before they burn it all up, and they would spread its wings, but they would not divide it. Isn't that interesting that they would spread its wings? 
What happened to Jesus on the cross? And they would not divide it. The Bible says that not a bone on Jesus' body was broken. Isn't that interesting? Not by chance. It's in the Bible for a reason, you guys. It's a clear picture, once again, of our Savior, that, that, the, that the gift of salvation was a free gift, but it was not cheap. It says there, burn it on the altar, on the wood that is on the fire. Again, placed on the wood, a picture of Christ. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. An aroma of consecration. An aroma of substitutionary death. Aroma of innocent being paid for the guilty. An aroma of grace. An aroma of mercy. An aroma of forgiveness. Praise God for the sacrifice. Aren't you glad that we live after the cross? Amen? Aren't you glad that we're not dragging sheep in here? And aren't you glad that we're not making sacrifice? Aren't you glad that that the price has been paid, that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and now that we ask Him to come into our life, that His Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. Isn't that awesome? And you know what? We come and we remember what He did. We no longer have to make sacrifice. When Jesus died on the cross, when His wings were spread, what did He say? It is finished. Amen? Price has been paid. Aren't you glad? Amen? So in conclusion, I want to encourage us. May we as Christians not get stuck in Exodus. May we live lives consecrated and set apart unto the Lord. May we just not find redemption to be enough, but as we continue to go through Leviticus and we see the consecration and we see the holy living, may we be people that say, Lord, I'm not going to just give you some. I want to give it to you all. I consecrate my life to you completely. Mike, come on up and we're going to close in a worship song. But before he does, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I know that for some that the, the graphicness of of the Old Testament text, as you look at the sacrifices, you can almost turn our stomachs, Lord. But I just thank you that you so clearly show us that sin has a heavy-duty price. Lord, that sin is an awful mess and that it requires a great deal for our sin to be covered. And Lord, that it all is a picture of you. We thank you that you paid the price for us. Lord, I just feel led right now for anybody here that, Lord, if you spoke to them tonight, that they have not been living lives consecrated unto you. And Lord, that's their desire to say, Lord, I want to give you my all. I want to be like that burnt offering, Lord. There would be a sweet aroma in your presence, that my life would make a difference in the world around me. If you're here tonight and that's your desire, I just want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Is there anybody here? God bless you. God bless you guys. God bless all of you with your hands up. Heavenly Father, I pray for everyone that has their hands up. Lord, I pray for them, Father God. May their lives be consecrated unto you. Lord, help them to give their all for your kingdom, Lord. You gave your all that we might have eternal life. Lord, help us to return that, Father God, by giving it all to you. What better place to put our lives than in your hands? So, Lord, we love you and we praise you, Father God. Help us just fill us to overflowing with your spirit, that we might be the men and women of God that you've called us to be. We thank you, we praise you again that the sacrifice has been paid and that you paid it for us. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's close in worship song.